As we kick off this new teaching series this morning, we've called it uh, Spin. Spin, and we got a tagline as well that goes with it, where we believe God is changing lives. And we had uh, 2,500 people at the Christmas services. We saw, yeah, we could celebrate that. And, and, you know, we count that because every life, you know, was created by God and has a purpose. But the even bigger thing to celebrate, we saw over 60 people make a commitment of faith to Jesus Christ, which is just awesome. And then last week here at the Carmel location, it was like Celebrity Weekend. Aaron Pelsey was here, and we had so many people here. We had 25 more people give their life to Christ last weekend. So, you know, God is on the move, and I, I believe it's going to be a special year, uh, not just for us, but for all the other local churches that God is using to make an impact throughout the state of Indiana. And so I'm excited uh, to dive into this four-week teaching series. And here's a big question I want to ask you as we kick off this year. If your life was fully God's, what would it look like? If your life was fully God's, what would it look like? Some of you are going, man, I'm really glad I brought my friend to hear this this morning. They could really use this. No. What if your life, you, were fully God's? What would this year look like? As I've been exploring that question, you know, God's even been speaking to me that I could see some parts of my story change in a positive way. See, our tagline for the series is, uh, it's called Spin because we want to see people change and turn to the Lord. And we will also believe that God can flip your story. No matter how messed up your story is, God can change any story. No matter the socioeconomic issues you're facing, no matter the sin issues you're facing, and no matter the problems going on in your life, God can flip your story upside down. I know this because of the great theologian, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, <laughs> told us this in the theme song. You remember it? Let's make sure we get this right. It says, now this is the story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel-Air. Yeah, man. Some of you could keep going, right? Anybody? West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground. is where I spent most of my days chewing out, maxing, relaxing, all cool, and all shooting some b-ball outside of the school with a couple of guys who were up to no good. Started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got one little fight. My mom got scared. Said, move with you and your uncle in Bel Air. I whistled for a cab, and when it came near, the license says it's fresh with the dice in the mirror. If anything, I could say that this cab was rare, but oh, now forget it. Yo, homes to Bel Air. Anybody? I pulled up to the house about 7 or 8. I yelled to the cab, yo, homes, smell you later. Looked at my kingdom. I was finally there to sit on the throne of the Prince of Bel Air. Wow! <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's amazing or embarrassing. It's one of them. We didn't, we didn't do that at the other services. I just thought, you know, you got me going, James, so we just had to keep going. We all know that story in that TV show from the 90s. If you don't, it's a story about a kid growing up in West Philadelphia and had trouble going on in his life, and then this radical transformation happens. He gets to move to his aunt and uncle's out in Bel Air, California, and he has all of these resources, and his whole life is flipped, turned upside down, and changes. You may not have a wealthy aunt or uncle that's going to change your life this morning, but I want to tell you about the God that created you. The depth of his love and compassion for you is way more than Uncle Phil. 
And the power he has is way more than just some financial stewardship for your life. And that's what I want to share with you. You guys ready to study God's word together, church? Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. As you're turning there, let me give you a little background. We're going to get to verse 11. You're probably somewhat familiar with the story that we're going to read, the prodigal son. But I love the gospel of Luke. It's a part of a two-part book written by Luke. He was a first century physician that traveled with the apostle Paul around the Roman Empire, starting new churches. And he writes this two-part book, Luke Acts. Uh, The first part, Luke, is about the good news of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. It's one of four uh, gospels, what we call them, that talks about Jesus' life in the New Testament. It's written in Greek, Koine Greek, which is uh, not, not quite like super ancient Greek, but definitely not like modern Greek. And Koine Greek, um, Luke is the most complex writer we have in the New Testament because he was super educated uh, for that day. If you look at the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, John the disciple was a much less educated person. It's much easier to translate the Greek that we find in those passages. But Luke gives us details and more complexity that we don't always get in other books of the Bible. In fact, the book of Acts is the only one that really tells the whole story about what happens after Jesus' resurrection how the early church is given the Holy Spirit and it transforms the culture and it spreads the good news of Jesus all over the Roman Empire and that over 2 billion people today will claim uh, faith in Jesus because of that work that occurred during that season of time. And I share that with you because you have to understand why. Why is because God loves you. Luke chapter 15 gives us these analogies, these stories, these metaphors that talk about our heavenly father and his love for us. It starts in in the beginning of chapter 15 and it talks about that if there were a hundred sheep, the good shepherd, Jesus, would leave the 99 sheep if one of them got lost. He would leave the 99 well-behaved sheep for the one ill-behaved sheep. That was the depth of his love for every individual person according to the metaphor. Next, it talks about that if there was a a metaphor of a coin was lost in a house and it's a life to God, he's going to sweep the whole house, flip it upside down just to find that one lost coin. Some of you need to hear that this year because you are that one and he's going to keep pursuing you. And then we get to Luke chapter 15, and it starts getting to the nitty-gritty and, and really put this in human terms for us. We're not talking about sheep or coins. We're talking about what it looks like to be forgiven and to receive the grace of God. Verse 11 says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. We're going to talk about the two sons. The younger son, he's going to squander everything. And the older son, he's going to stay, stick around, and do things the right way. Both of us as Christians probably fall into one of these two categories, and both of them are right and wrong in their own ways, and we'll demonstrate that for you. First, let's look at the younger son. The younger one said to his father, Father, forgive me, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. He went off, he took all of that wealth like a good North Indianapolis, Hamilton County entitled young person. They took everything, went on about that sweet ride. He had all the nice things, living that bougie life. He lived it up, he went to the clubs, to the concerts, he had fun on the weekend. You should have seen the New Year's Eve party he was at. And then one day, this happens. 
after he had spent everything, verse 14, there was a severe famine in the whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He leaves the, the city, goes out in the countryside in a small town like where I grew up. He's taking care of the pigs. Verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pig were, pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And for so many in humanity, it'd be very easy to sit there and wallow in it or turn to violence, anger, animosity. I mean, look at the culture around us. Take what isn't mine because I need to change it because no one cares about me. And instead, this young man is going to do something very hard and he's going to return home to the father because he knows at least there he's going to eat. And when he gets there, the younger brother is not going to like it. He's not going to like because the, the father runs to him, puts a robe on him, and celebrates that his son is home. We're going to look at that in a moment. And the older brother's like, no, 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 I stayed here and I did things the right way. We're going to talk about that. Maybe you identify with that son more. Regardless of what our issues and problems are as we head into this new year, I believe that some or all of us could change our story in 2020. We could flip our story upside down and allow God to invade whether we've been a Christian for decades and we know this area of our life we need to reclaim and believe God could do it new or whether we're new to Christianity, we're going to see God change our stories this year. Will you pray with me? God, first, we just pause and we pray for the world. That seems like a big prayer, but we pray for uh, with the threats of war and other things going on. We just pray that as Christians, you would help us uh, be a light in a dark time. And regardless of our stance on the political things going on, God, we, we just pray for your shalom today. That your peace would go not just around the globe, but it would enter into our state, God, that you would bring peace into our homes. You would bring peace into our workplaces, and we would experience that this year. God, we pray for the churches that are starting today, God, the Two Mercy Road Churches. One of the churches we helped plant three years ago is in the, their new building for the first time this morning, God. In all of the churches throughout our communities, we pray that your shalom, your peace, would supersede anything else going on. We acknowledge your presence here right now in this room. Speak to us, Jesus. We pray this in your name. And all God's family said, amen. Amen. We had two different brothers here. Maybe you identify more with the younger brother. He took everything. He wasted it all. He lived out, lived a lavish lifestyle and wild living. We have words to describe that younger brother in our culture. We would say things like, what a waste. What a failure. What a mistake. What a waste of talent. What a waste of ability. What a waste of resources. What a loser. And we often, I couldn't imagine that young man when he would walk around town to know how he had once lived and to have people see him sitting there longing to eat the pods that the pigs were eating and just go, this is the guy in town. You go, remember when he had all that stuff? Look at he just wasted it. What a loser. That's a problem. He's never going to change. He's always just going to be like that. Or maybe you identify with the, the younger brother, right? Because we often think that the, 
or excuse me, the older brother. We often think that the younger brother is the one that is the bad person in this story, right? He was the bad guy, but then the older brother was the good guy. The, the good guy, he had it going on from a Christian church perspective. He was raised in the youth group. He listened well. He attended Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, was a good steward of his financial resources, as you should be. We have sign-ups occurring right now. If you haven't been through it, it starts next Sunday night at 7 o'clock. Fill out a Connect card, turn it in at the Connect Center. I believe in holy living and righteous living. God, obedience to God isn't a bad thing. God can use that by being good stewards of our financial resources. God can use it to make an impact in the world. Absolutely. The problem is we get where the righteousness is coming from wrong. See, this is the good guy, the good brother in the story. He probably read his Bible on a daily basis. Good things, right? Daily devotional. He came and worshiped every single weekend, joined one of the volunteer teams, was at the First Impressions team. Great smiler when you walked in the door. Went up, said very pleasant things to everyone, gave everybody high fives, went home feeling good about themselves. Great stuff. We love that here in our church. But he got the last part wrong. See, his self-righteousness led him to believe that his brother who had returned home deserved to suffer rather than be welcomed with open arms. We're going to talk about that this morning. Because the truth is there are multiple types of prodigals, if you will, in this story, people who have strayed from God and rebelled in certain areas of our life. I don't know which kind you are, but we all have areas of our lives that God needs to flip the story. And maybe some of the prodigals, I've seen a lot of prodigals over the years who aren't 18-year-old young adults, but who are 65-year-old people who have lived most of their lives acquiring resources for their own personal kingdom to grow and expand, to use their power and authority to bring good things to their life while diminishing and oppressing other people in the world. There's lots of different types of prodigals. I don't know which kind you are. I know which kind God's speaking to me about in my life. What would it look like in this year to see God change that? Jesus' words here are what separate him from the Pharisees and the religious zealots of the day. He is the one who is going to be like, you don't understand the depth of God's love for both of the brothers. And that's what I'd love to discuss. If you're taking notes, here's how to change your story in 2020. How to change your story. And the first one is the hardest part. It's also the simplest part. Spin around and run to God. See, we're using that word spin around. It literally, there's another word we use in church that unfortunately has gotten a negative connotation, but is actually a beautiful word. It's the word repent. Repent, really all it means is you, you miss the mark and, and you want to do a 180 to turn and reclaim God's work in your life. It's just you're just spinning around and you're doing a 180. You're saying, God, change me and use me. Some of us need to spin around and turn to God to start this year off. Look how the younger brother, he actually figures this out and how difficult this would have been. Look at verse 15. When he came to his sense, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and against you. Now, we tell that story and we're like, oh yeah, total, he ruined his life, he, entitled guy, totally got it all wrong, he needed to change, he needed to turn around and spin back and go back. But did you re- think about those verses just for a second. Say to your father, 
the dad that raised you to know better, that, that earned everything you wasted. He says, I want to go back and I'm going to say, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Could you imagine the humility that would have taken the younger brother? The embarrassment it would have caused him. Verse 19, even to go to this depth, he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The, the, the humbleness and the humility when this young man spins around and is going to go back home to his father, which is a metaphor for our heavenly father, right? Like when he, he spins around, it's that I'm going to admit that I have sinned against you and against heaven, and I'm not even worthy to be called your son or your daughter. Do you realize, now, according to the Bible, you and I and, and Genesis, the humanity was the pinnacle of God's creation. It's the only thing in the creation story he called very good. Like you weren't created as just like this worthless being. You have great worth in the eyes of God. He loves you just as you are and doesn't love you when you're obedient versus when you're disobedient. He's always going to love you. You can never get rid of that love for him. However, it also takes the humility to understand that we are not worthy of that love. The Bible tells us, Paul writes to the church in uh, the letter to the Romans, that you and I are a son or a daughter of the living God, that we can call him Abba, which means daddy. That's how close our relationship is with him, that we get to be a son or daughter of God, but not because we deserved it. The only reason we get to be claimed that, what does the New Testament teach us? Not because of our good works or because we have earned the right to be called that, because, but because of the work of Jesus I know this is simple, but we need to understand the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's that he was crucified on the cross, atoning for our mistakes, our sin, our wrongdoing. So like when you drank too much on New Year's Eve, did some things you shouldn't have done in the last month, said some things you shouldn't have said, when you gossiped on the way in here, that because of the crucifixion of Jesus, that that atoning sacrifice covered up, that's what atonement means, covered up for our sin and wrongdoing. For thousands of years, the Israelites had done this through the sacrifices of animals. It was a horrific thing. This animal would get what we deserved. It would take their place, and they would confess their sin onto that animal, and the priest would sacrifice the animal, and it would atone or cover up for the mistakes for that one month or that one week or that one year. Hebrews tells us Jesus, which we know in the New Testament, we use the metaphor, he's the what? The Lamb of God, got up onto the altar as the ultimate atoning sacrifice so that we would no longer have to do any sort of thing like that. Because God was never going to give up on us no matter how much we rebelled against him. He sent the prophets when he didn't listen, so he sent his only son as an atoning sacrifice so everybody could draw near to God eternally. But it takes us doing the action of repenting, which is spinning around and going back to him. And the younger brother gets this part. He messed up a whole lot, but he got this, the most important part, right, and the older brother's going to get it wrong. He's going to run home, it said. And in verse 20, it said, so he got up and went to his father. Some of you can't even admit to your own spouse or your friends or your family the mistake you made. Could you imagine returning home like that? That's the hard work. That's usually where most of us stop. We won't get to that point. Our pride gets in the way. Guilt and shame get in the way. Our callousness over years of doing this to God gets in the way. But those who do it, 
those who do it, God can flip our story and change the circumstances in our lives. Because none of us are perfect. Paul wrote to the church in Rome in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no perfect person in here. No righteous person in and of themselves. None of us are worthy to be called a son or daughter of God. It's because of the work of Jesus, which we did not deserve, that we could be made right and live with him and experience him fully in our lives. I need you to hear this for each of us. See, some of us, we think, we identify with the younger brother. We think, well, I've messed up. This is how I am. I'm always going to have that addictive habit. I'm always going to struggle in dating. I'm always going to struggle in marriage issues, kid issues, finance issues. This is how I am. I can't get away from it. God made me this way. That is contrary to the good news of the gospel of Jesus. The New Testament is full of examples who God changes their lives radically. And some of us, we bear this guilt and shame. I'm going to imagine a cross that we're literally carrying it. We, we, we bear this guilt and shame of years of, of sin issues going on in our lives. And, and we, start, we get to the point, we stop thinking it even affects us. This is just how I am. It doesn't really affect me. I'm just, and everybody sees you like, dude, you're hunched over carrying all the weight of that stuff in your life. It's causing problems. You're making poor decisions. No, it doesn't bother me. I'm good. What if you could be free of that? The younger brother loses everything, but he's not free until he returns home to his father. Just because you messed up doesn't mean you have to be a mess up. Amen? Some of us need to hear that. Some of you attending online right now, you know you can't even step foot in a church building because you're afraid everybody judge you. We're not going to judge you. God loves you. He redeemed you. Just because you messed up, you're not going to be a mess up the rest of your life. Number two, if you're taking notes, first spin around and run to God. Now let's talk to the other brother for just a second. We got to celebrate when people come home. We got to celebrate when people come home. You know, what I love about this passage, we're going to read the verses 20 to 24 in a second, but essentially when the younger brother comes home, the, the father runs out, he puts a, a robe on his back, a ring on his finger, says, get that fattened calf ready, we're having a party tonight, baby, my, my son was lost and now he's found, this is going to be awesome. But here's how the older brother responds in verse 28, a little bit later in the passage. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. You can kind of understand it, right? Here he did all these years of work, working for his father, doing the right things for the right reasons, and now you're going to celebrate that guy? Come on. If anybody should have been celebrated, it was the one making the right decisions. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, I always love the old English with this. Says, Behold, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate. So I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property, think about it, with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Are you kidding me? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he is found. question I want to ask those of us who maybe identify with the older brother is, do you allow people to change? So we just saw 85 people give their life to Christ in the last two weeks. 
And we never know. That was their prayer. Some of it was they were already Christian and they were recommitting things in their life. Some of them were first-time Christians. And maybe that's you in the room or attending live online right now. And God began to transform that area of your life. He said, I'm, I'm going to spin around. I'm going to run to him. I'm going to welcome him. For the Christians, are we going to allow them to change? Do we allow people to change? The problem in the 21st century American Christian culture is we are more no, known more for our self-righteousness and not allowing people to be transformed by the good news of Jesus, which is the whole intention. Let me give you an example. So, you know, you guys know I lived in Southern California for seven years, met my wife there. I worked at a large church out there, mainly uh, in young adult ministry, working to eight t- with 18 to 35-year-olds in a culture that was pretty far from God. And we saw a lot of people make, you know, be, come to know Jesus and make radical life changes. And I remember one guy in particular, he was a young man who had made some poor decisions in his early 20s. He, in fact, at one point, um, I mean, there was drinking and girls, but then he got into, like, some violent behaviors and spent some time in jail. Really bad stuff, too, if you get to know the story. He realized, man, I got to do something. The, the problem in my life is me. I need to change. So he spun around. He's going to turn to the Lord. And what happened was he came to our, our church. He ended up recommitting his life to Christ. He'd grown up Christian but had been far away, recommitted his life to Christ. God began to work in his life. And it was obvious and so within a, a couple of months or so, he started volunteering in the church. He ended up being one of the ushers in the church. And, you know, after being there about a year, we were like, hey, why don't you become the, the leader of the volunteer team for the ushers? And he was like, well, if you need the help, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And so he became the head of that team. And we had uh, another young man in our community at that time who had known the Lord for a long time. He was one of the more uh, legalistic people in, that, in our church. And he came to me and he said, Josh, do you, i got to tell you some things. You probably don't know this, but the guy that you just made, the head of the ushers, he has a past. He made some mistakes. In fact, he spent some time in jail because of the choices that he made. And it was really bad stuff that included some violence. He's like, I don't think it's appropriate in the house of the Lord to have somebody uh, running a team like that. Some of you know where I'm going with this. I looked at him and I said, if we don't allow that guy to be changed by the good news of Jesus, what in the world are we doing with our time? Why are we doing this? I got a better idea. Rather than you making him feel uncomfortable because he's opening himself up to the Lord and the transformation God's trying to do in his life, how about you, if you keep talking to people about him like this, I would much prefer you not be associating with our community any longer. We love you, but we believe God still is living and active and transforms people, and he loves that guy as much as he loves you as much as he loves me. He didn't like that answer. A couple months later, he was no longer a part of that community. Still love the Lord, still a Christian, still going to heaven when he dies, but dead wrong about the good news of Jesus. And that young man that God was working on, he grew in his faith and became a leader in the ministry, and he eventually met an awesome Christian woman, and they got married and moved up to the northwest part of the country, and they had kids together, and they're still a major part, participating in the life of their local church and just have an awesome Christian family now. All because God still is living and active and works. And we don't allow people to change. If we don't celebrate when people come home, 
What in the world are we doing? If you want to know why, if you're new to the church, you're like, well, you guys talk about that church planting a lot. Why, why do you always talk about that? It's not going to stop because we believe, here's the thing, we really believe that God is real, that the work of Jesus on the cross, crucified and, and risen from the grave, was real, and that the Holy Spirit was given to Christians, and he still changes lives today, and that there are broken people, and I hear it all the time, who make jokes, who are like, I can't walk in the building of church. If I walk through the doors, my hair's going to catch on fire. <laughs> the Lord knows what I have done. And those people have come into our church over and over again into the, the facility, and they have encountered the Lord, and they have been transformed by the good news of Jesus, and they have given their life to Christ, and they have been baptized, and then they have gone through rooted. Our 10-week discipleship experience is an initial first step. If you're one of the many people who have given your life to Christ or you've been a Christian for decades but have never been through Rooted, it's starting here in a week and a half. you got to do it. you got to do it. In fact, the ushers, uh, I didn't forget it, are going to come down with the sign-up sheets right now. You're not committing anything by signing this, uh, up for this. We're just going to let you know all the information. But I encourage you, if you've never been through Rooted, it's on Wednesday nights. Uh, child care is provided. It meets here at the building. We would love for everyone to go through Rooted as the sign-up sheets come around. If you can't do a Wednesday night, still sign up and let us know. We may be able to figure something out to offer uh, another opportunity for that. But I, I share this with you because we believe God still changes lives. That's why we do Rooted. That's why we plant churches. We just sent our youth pastor of the last several years out to start another church, not so we could have a Mercy Road campus, but so that we could take, here's, here's what we believe. We believe as people come and they connect with the Lord and they're discipled, we want them to live on mission. And then some of them we want to send out to go to another place like Northwest, like downtown, like Fortville, most likely we're going to call it the Northeast location coming up really soon, that because we believe God could use you to spread the good news of Jesus to other people. And we don't need the people who have been Christians for 30 plus years and have all the right answers in order to achieve that. It's not what we read in the New Testament. It's a bunch of uneducated people who encounter the real living Jesus and that transformed their lives and then they begin to be obedient, yes. And that leads to life change. And so we are gonna celebrate that people still come home today and God changes their lives in our midst even now. In fact, little update for those who are excited for the Northeast location to get going over there in Fortville. It's coming. In fact, the renovation starts this week. And thank you to the, the former church that was there. We haven't even closed on the property yet. They're allowing us to begin it so that we can get in there sooner. And uh, we're hoping, we're not even calling it a renovation anymore. We're calling it a refresh. So we're just doing some cosmetic things so we can get in there more quickly and we hope to have services up there. Uh, I'm not even going to give you a date because you'll hold me to it, but it's going to be as soon as we can. We're moving fast on it. And be praying for that. And then here, here's some more good news. Uh, I, we found out uh, a few weeks ago um, the number I shared at the dinners that we needed to close. Um, I was wrong. We're, we're not going to need as much. So that's the good news. We don't need as much to close on it up front. And um, thank you. We had so many people sacrificing at the end of the year we saw over two hundred and I believe eighty thousand dollars come in in the last like five weeks of the year towards the compassion campaign. Isn't that insane? And 
we're only, uh, we're only about 170000 which is still a ton of money. I mean, don't get me wrong away from being able to close on that property on January 31st. So be praying, be praying, be praying. But we're doing all of this stuff because we believe God still changes lives. The good old days of Christianity wasn't 2,000 years ago. It's still today. The book of Acts didn't just occur in the time after Jesus. It's still happening today. But it takes us being willing to be transformed, to repent and turn to the Lord. And then it takes the Christians to go, amen, amen, amen. We want more of that. That's why we're doing this third and final point, if you're taking notes, is this. This is the hardest part for people like me. Be unembarrassed of our Father's love. Be unembarrassed of our Father's love. Uh, some people who know me well uh, know I don't like hugs. I don't know what it is. Just like, why you got to touch me? I didn't ask you to do that. <laughs> uh, I'll still hug you. Don't worry. Don't be offended. But I, uh, I, I love to pass that on to my children just as a dad, right? Like one of my favorite things to do on the first day of school or the last day of school is right before the fifth grade boy gets on the bus, give him a nice big hug, kiss him on the cheek in front of all of his friends on the bus. He just loves that. And some of us, as children of God, we are embarrassed of the love of our Heavenly Father. Look what it says here in uh, th this uh, last part, verses 20 to 24 in the middle section here. So he got up and went to his Heavenly Father. The younger brother did. Although he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with anger and animosity because of the sin and mistakes he had done. Well, I got that wrong. He, he responded uh, with some quick temper because uh, he drank too much on New Year's Eve because of the lust that was ongoing in his life, because of the addictive habit and the way that he has treated people and the gossip occurring in their life. He responded with compassion for him. He ran to his son. And we'll come back to that, but look what it goes on. It says, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The passage tells us our heavenly father, when we spin around and we return back to him, that when we come home, he doesn't judge us like the older brother. He loves us and is filled with compassion for us. Do you realize this is the only passage that I'm aware of in the Bible that personifies God as running? And he, who is he running to? To his lost son that had strayed away. And rebelled against him. In fact, do you realize culturally what's going on here? For a man to run in this culture was indignant for a couple of reasons. First, he's the older man. He shouldn't have to do that. But secondly, if you can picture him running down the lane as his son is coming home, they didn't have on, you know, blue jeans and a plaid shirt. He had on a nice robe with some sandals on his feet. And when they get running in, and that robe, you see, would start flying up in the wind. He didn't care. He didn't care. You see all the whites on his leg. He doesn't care. He's going to run. He's just running. He's going, I can't believe he's coming home. He wraps his arms around him. He gives a hug and a kiss. He gets a fat calf. He gets a ring and a robe. Puts it on. I can't believe it. Your heavenly father for you, his love for you is indignant. He, he is not caring right now what you have done in your past. He is caring how you respond to his love and compassion for you. 
He is not going to hold over your head all the mistakes of your past for all of eternity. That's not the God that we read about in the Bible. The God that we read about in the Bible says, I created you, I loved you, I redeemed you. My desire is for every single person in here to respond to that love and let me wrap my loving arms around me. But if you do this to me your whole life, I'm going to let you do it. You got to spin around. Repent and, 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 and face the problems in your life, the troubles you're going through. That's the hard part, like I said. And as Christians, we got to empower life transformation. Even for those who have been Christians a long time, they need to repent of some stuff going on in their lives because our Heavenly Father's love and compassion for them runs deep. How deep? Let me just share this with you as we close out. The Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Colossae to talk about the depth of his love for you, why he sent his son in the first place. Because he created us, and we were the only thing that was very good in all of his creation. He loved us, and we rebelled against him. And so he said, this will be my people, and I'll be your God. And the Israelites rebelled against him too. So he sent the prophets, please, guys, listen. And they didn't listen, just like we don't listen today. So he sent his only son, the atoning sacrifice for forgiveness of sins of everybody here and attending online. And Paul writes it this way in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins, we have some people, some of us dead in our sins this morning, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. In fact, look at verse 14. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he's taken away nailing it to the cross. Leave that there for just a second. That the canceling the charge of our legal indebtedness. In the Greek, that, that is a term that was an accounting term. It meant that you owed this debt financially and that it had to be a race, canceled out. And what they would do, they would take the sponge and they would dip it in a solution and they would wipe away the ink, the debt, completely. It's where we get the idea of expunging something from. It was completely expunged from there. You could no longer even see the debt that was left behind. God's not looking at your past mistakes going, the next time you mess up again, remember this is how you messed up here and reminding you the rest of your life for it. He's God Almighty, not your spouse. He's going to take it and he's going to expunge it completely away forever and always. And verse 15, my favorite part of it, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. If you put this in sports terms, it was like the Indianapolis Colts were up 59 to nothing against the New England Patriots. I know it's usually reversed, but play with me for just a second. And we're up 59 to nothing, and he leaves in Peyton Manning just to run up the score a little bit. He had the power to create the universe in six days. He saved all of humanity in one moment. You think he can't handle the problems in your life? If we turn and we spin and we surrender and we repent, it says that he's going to run to us indignantly and love us and all the broken pieces. He's going to put us back together and make us new, better than we ever were for all of sin to fall short of the glory of God. But in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you could be a new creation. The old could be gone. The new could come. There is hope, and it's found in the work of Jesus on the cross, crucified, and him resurrected from the grave. The power and the authorities that want to condemn us eternally don't even work against our Heavenly Father's power through Jesus Christ. So all I'm going to ask is that we respond to that, because Jesus made it clear. In his last words in John 19, as he's given up his life on the cross, he says these words, Tetelestai, 
that it's paid in full or it is finished. You don't have to live in that past anymore. You may have messed up, but you don't have to be a mess up. Be forgiven. Be made new. Get the last part of the younger brother's story. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for all the people that came out today, and I, I just pray right now that I know your Holy Spirit has been speaking to many of us, and whether we have been Christians for a long time or whether we're new to Christianity, if you're like me right now, you know there's some things you need to allow God to flip your story in 2020. I know for me, God, that last point of this message has really spoken to me. In the busyness of 2019, I know I can't do another year exactly like that. It's never the same. And in 2020, I want to relish in your love more. Slow down enough to make time for you, not just to study your word or do things for you, God, but just be loved by you. Maybe you've been a Christian, you got something in your life you just need to repent of. Let's do that right now. And then for many of us, maybe, you know, you need to surrender your life to him. You've never turned around and run home to him. And this could be your day. This could be your moment. January 5th, 2020. Remember that day because it's going to be the day that God forever changes your life. If you'd like to surrender your life fully to Jesus, I, pray, I ask that you pray this silently as I prayed out loud. God, I confess I need you. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. I do that beautiful action of repenting. I spin around, and I'm running towards you right now. I surrender my whole life to you. Use me. I receive your forgiveness today. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for our lives. We thank you for this church. We pray you'd use us. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen.